Welcome to the Salted Podcast, where we are translating and transforming our view of politics, pop culture, and personal preference. In this episode, we have a candid conversation with Afghanistan war veteran Yon and Pastor Dan on the crisis in Afghanistan and how we should respond to the suffering and tragedy unfolding before our eyes. Let's get salty. Welcome to the Salted Podcast, latest edition. My name's Yon. This is Dan. And today you got a treat, an unscripted Salted Podcast. Are you telling me that these other podcasts have been scripted? No, no, no. We have memorized every element of it all the way through. Did I just blow our cover? Trade secret. Yes. Uh, So we are going to talk specifically about uh, Afghanistan and what's going on in Afghanistan. And if, if maybe it's like 2023, 2024, and you're listening to this, um, this is a very specific, time-sensitive episode, but it kind of speaks to some bigger worldviews and some bigger things that I think, as people say, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, it rhymes, or, or history is repeating itself, and I'm sure these are things that are going to come along in the future as well as we navigate uh, our faith in politics and even pop culture and the fact that this story has kind of taken over the world. And how does our Christian worldview kind of shape the way we translate what's happening and then move to transform what's going on? So that's where we're headed, talking about Afghanistan today in a couple different areas. Um, and I think we are, what, two days, three days past the um, kind of the American pullout and then the insanity that has ensued in the chaos of um, Afghans, Taliban uh, entering Kabul, taking over essentially 90% of the country, um, civilian, Afghan civilians and Americans um, trying to get out of the country and scenes of Saigon where helicopters are landing at the embassy and taking people to the airport and some pretty horrific images of Afghans hanging on to landing gear on C-17 planes, and as the landing gear closes, they both fall to their death, and also pictures of bodies that are trapped in the landing gear, flapping in the wind as the plane is flying. So, kind of videos of of Taliban uh, executing people uh, as they go, finding um, leaders in local Afghan um, either part of the armed forces or part of the government and executing them. Um, women, there's a video of a woman who was executed for showing her feet uh, in her burqa. Um, and then just kind of the anticipation of what could potentially happen in the next couple of days and coming weeks. So a lot of real chaos, a lot of real pain um, around the world, seeing what's happening and also specific to the United States because we are the, we're the ones leaving. So um, so probably we'll start with what is like what's the conversation around like the human suffering and how does our worldview kind of inform the way we approach this? Um, less so from an American citizen worldview and more so from a more so from a I'm a Jesus follower yeah. um, and I'm looking at what's going on. Yeah, I mean at first glance it looks only like a political clash, right? An epic failure of the political system of politicians uh, who are negotiating this transition in the troop drawdown. Um, And so that's what it looks like at first glance. And if you're listening to the news, that's pretty much how you're hearing it sliced up. It's uh, political decisions based on ideology versus strategic decisions um, in in view of um, maybe some military operations and so on. So 
But behind the scenes, Yon, are we just looking at the good guys versus the bad guys? I mean, behind the scenes, are we? do we understand this as a clash between the good guys, meaning Americans and freedom-loving Afghanis, or is there something more to this in terms of the worldview clash? Yeah, I think probably we would probably do a disservice if we just approached it the same way most people are approaching it, um, whether it's like hyper-partisan where people are just blaming each other for political points, um, whether there's deep actual concern with um, for the local Afghans and what's going on for the, for the global kind of cause of freedom that most people think that the United States represents. Um, but th- those conversations are, you know, there's many of them you can go and find. Um, I think one of the one of the, probably the the bigger conversation for um, for our audience and for you listeners, well, what what are some of the what are the foundational differences and what are some of the real causes of this conflict, right? And a lot of it is political and a lot of stuff, but really, when we look at it and we look at kind of why it is so distressing is because there's a clash of worldviews that's happening right before our eyes and it's happening on live on social media. It's happening live on the news and it's happening uh, across the world. Um, and really that class of clash of worldviews and clash of civilizations is, um, essentially the, um, the Western Judeo Christian ethic and moral worldview, um, in contrast to a Muslim tribalistic, um, very, you know, very fundamentalist Sharia law worldview and how those two are coming into conflict and how the reason we're usually so, we are actually so distressed about this is because of the things that the opposing worldview are going to impose on the people who are trying to um, advocate for and live out this Judeo-Christian worldview of liberty and individual worth and um, everybody is created equal as opposed to this Sharia law which is imposed and this worldview that says, no, not everybody is created equal and there's a hierarchy and um, if you don't follow the rules, then your life is just expendable. So, yeah, it actually, I mean, literally fits in the category of those who comment on the culture and on our history and they say, all the wars in all of history have been driven by religion, right? I mean, this is a this would be a classic example of how it's um, it's fundamentalism, extremist Islam versus the rest of the free world. Yeah, really. Yeah, and it's I mean, and again, th- there's so many so many layers to this whole conversation that you might be listening, and saying, "Well, it's not about that. It's about money. It's about Americans going and and getting all the mineral resources. It's about." You know, it's a political thing where you're fighting the war on terror. You fight them there and not here. It's a it's a regional thing where you're fighting a proxy war. Or it's a, it's all sorts of different things. But ultimately, what is so depressed, so distressing, I think right now is the fact that they're from the macro view of watching the Americans withdraw in defeat is the macro view of well the kind of the global emblem of freedom and the the Judeo Christian ethic. Um, as opposed to some other superpowers like China or Russia or other, um, or the prevailing the kind of Muslim worldview and how that plays out politically, that's retreating, right? That's been quote unquote defeated. But then also it's distressing because on the the micro, the local people in Afghanistan who relied on Americans and who relied on who are who are actually advocating and pursuing that freedom and actually trying to make it work and the uh, you know it's just distressing knowing that those people will there'll be retribution for those people because they they dared to to oppose the Sharia law and Allah and that and that whole worldview of the Taliban. So 
it's depressing both on the macro scale and on the micro down all to the individual Afghan and their family. Incredible to imagine that these, that the Taliban are executing people in what they believe to be sacred, sanctified executions, yeah. God-ordained executions yeah. for yeah. the unfaithfulness of these of these people or the what they would call an, the infidel behavior right yeah. of abandoning Allah and on a side note I, I I find it extraordinary and we don't have to talk anything about this at all Yon but I thought it's worth mentioning I find it extraordinary that our culture commentators never give a blanket condemnation of Islam um, really I mean, I'm biased. I'm completely biased, but it only feels like it's only ever Christians, right? The Christian worldview, and only ever uh, the Jews, right? Yeah, right. it's it, there's it's a, so so yeah, hard to yeah. take. It's pretty. In. It's pretty interesting. You're right, and that you, you're exactly right. That, um, you know, the question is always, well, now there's a thing about like, well, what are the women going to do, and what are the girls going to do? The girls are being forcibly married to the Taliban fighters. That's kind of their reward, and. You know, women are going to be forced to wear full hijab, and then there's a the conversation around. Well, what does the hijab, right? That is that really a token of or a a, a symbol of oppression, or is it a? You know, and so, but no one ever yes. criticizes. <laughs> no one that. overtly criticizes Islam and just says, "Look, there's some really, especially Sharia law Islam with the Taliban. Like, there's real problems there." But it seems like Christians we get we get we get hammered all the time. Um, for being, you know, bigoted and being narrow and the Jews as well. So it's just like, it's a, it is a little bit frustrating when you see something as blatant as this, um, because there's no, like, there's no Christian nation. That's the fundamentalist version of like the, the Taliban and the fundamentalist version of, of Islam. Like there's no, like the, like the handmaid's tale or whatever, that's fiction, right? That's not right. real life. And a lot of people think, well, that's what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's, it's a little frustrating. You're right. So you have a unique perspective because, and, and I'm, I'm sure some of our listeners don't know that you're a veteran, you're a Marine veteran, captain in the Marines, and also served in Afghanistan, right? Did you say seven months? Yeah, yeah, I was in Afghanistan okay. in 2010. Yeah. So what's your unscripted response? As you watch this as a, as a veteran who have logged time in a phase of your life, you know, and what's your, what's your gut instinct as you, if whatever you can tell us, yeah. I mean, how do you see this as someone who was there fighting for liberation, freedom, exporting the American value of individual liberty? Yeah. Yeah. It's, not American values right. of whatever, whatever constitutional Republic we are, but as someone who's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm here to help set free these people made in God's image who have been oppressed and tortured and terrorized by extremist yeah. Islam. Yeah. I think probably, you know, there is a big conversation right now about, well, what was the purpose of Afghanistan? Like what was the mission? Right. And that's on a macro level. Okay. That's a good question. But really when you get down to it on the, what the military call the tactical level, kind of really on the ground, that mission is pretty, you know, we had pretty good clarity on what we were doing in our specific area of operations. And so we, I was in the city of Marja, which is in the southern Helmand pro pro uh, province, and um, really a major, major base for Taliban and and the, their poppy production. So the way that they finance a lot of what they're doing. So uh, I had a unique 
deployment, I was stationed with my platoon. Uh, I had 56 Marines under me. We were at the Marja District Center. So we had the governor and the district attorney and the police chief. And we were literally in the civilian affairs group and all these the British embassy, USAID, all these civilian contractors. And they're, I'm really at the heart of helping kind of build and, you know, build a country out of a, out of a, or build a sense of governance out of what are subsistence farmers. So they just, you know, they don't, they eat what they, what they grow and they don't really have any aspects or, or interest in kind of growing their wealth. And it's very tribal. Um, so all I have to say is that it's, you know, on the low, on that lowest level where we were, we had pretty good clarity in what we were doing, but you know, ultimately when you, when you stay there long enough and you get to see what these people are doing and the, the harm that they put themselves in, like the governor, we had to drive around everywhere, right? I mean, he was a massive target to get killed. Um, we facilitated the elections in that area and watching all the people come out and kind of, have elections. It's not. It's not like the American elections, of course. Mostly all men who are voting, and just because um, that's the way they do things. And so, there's a, there's two things that are happening. That's which one you kind of have a fatigue of that culture because it's so different. You know, we mm-hmm. we we would catch. <laughs> we've caught caught an Afghan male like in the process of like raping a boy, right? Which is commonplace. Um, because they're kind of viewed as property. We want, we we had to go across our little gate and stop the Afghan police from fighting dogs in there because we were like, because that was, they're just, I mean, that's what they did, right, for fun. Um, and so there is some fatigue around that, around that culture because it's so radically different. But then also on the same side, you know, we were fighting side by side with these, with these same people, right? They were, they were, they were driving around in, in Ford Ranger pickups to, to gunfire trying to resolve and trying to bring a semblance of order, right? And so, she's like, okay, well, there's a, you know, there's a level of bravery and interest in kind of, you know, advancing what, what the idea of maybe freedom and, again, the way that they perceive freedom is very different yeah. than the way we perceive it, you know. Um, but at the same time, as a Jesus follower, I mean, there's people there. I mean, my view is not shaped in the, in the political sense. It's primarily viewed by these are human beings and they deserve like they're they're just they just want their kids to go to school, right? They want their kids to go to school and get educated and learn. Um, they want a better life for their family. They want and so it, it becomes Did you feel like you were there helping that happen? Yeah, I think I yeah, I think so. I mean I went around building wells and we went you know, there's I mean, there's just so much the bureaucracy and corruption and stuff, but ultimately, and I was in the, I was in the very remotest part, right? Mm. So I was not, it was, you know, where it, what I, where I was was very different than somewhere like Kabul, where there's a, where there's a large group of people who are working towards like right. something as opposed to, you know, we're a tribe in a tribal war where I was and we just happen to be the strongest tribe. Right. And mm-hmm. so we, it was in people's best interest to align with us. But at the end of the day, you know, there was, there was women who were trying to build businesses and trying to help other women build businesses. And one day we find them, you know, with their heads cut off in the ditch because the Taliban has no tolerance for, obviously, for women doing anything. We had a, we had a woman who escaped to us and said that her brothers were going to kill her because she sent a text message to a man that she wasn't married to. So we, so the U.S. Embassy who was on with us, we sent them off to the, you know, to Kabul, to a woman's shelter. And so... So you can kind of see me like there are. It's incredible. Like, at the at the end of the day, the question is, where are the like the powerless people in the world? Yeah. They where, what recourse do they have? And when the United States is there, you can say, well, there is someone who is actually interested in protecting freedom, or says that they're interested in protecting freedom, and so they have an option. Right. The thing that's so depressing right now is, 
those people like yeah. they're done like they don't which is so oh which gosh. is so sad watching them at the airport because they know it's like if they don't get on an airplane you know they're either dead or they might even prefer to be dead because yeah. they're going to take their daughters and their wives and they're going to, I mean, just I mean, those dudes on the plane, it was a suicide mission. The the, the yeah. dudes that grabbed onto that plane. I mean, they, they elected that death over the gory torture to yeah. come. Right. Or, or at least perceived. Um, yeah. I mean that, that, I think that was such a powerful image to help us understand what they knew they were facing. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's pretty, and so, yeah, so it's, it's a, yeah, so it's pretty, I mean, when you ask, like, what's the, what's my reaction, it's probably, my head is probably, if I'm allowed to say this, full of things I wouldn't say on the air mm. <laughs> or on the, on the platform of church, but, um, uh, but also just like anger yeah. and rage and like, just like, it's very hard to, like, I, I told my wife, I'm like, I'm like, I can't really focus on anything, just so you know, I'm just kind of like. Yeah. on Twitter. I'm just like staring off into the distance thinking about yeah, stuff. Yep. You know? So it's just, it's because, especially because I'm a Marine, a Marine Corps infantry per- guy. And so, I mean, the Marine Corps has, has a long history of, um, against all odds, you just make stuff happen, right? You just, and, and so I keep thinking, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, if there was any will to do it, they would have done it. If there was any yeah. will to defend and to fight, the Americans would have done it, but there was clearly no will. It was clearly, um, just a total, totally selfish, totally self-centered. We're, we're just getting out of here. I heard the you. generals all day yesterday. I've been telling you off, off air here that I, I, um, I've been listening to the generals describe that very thing, the level of frustration in their voices. Of course, they're not the acting generals. They're right. the generals that very much uh, understood what was happening behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And there's a level of exasperation and uh, real shock in their assessment of what's happening. Basically, they described a situation where they were um, – pretty much wedged out of the equation in terms of what the strategic options were that they weren't the politicians weren't facing two options either uh, send more american troops in to die or abandon the afghani people that there was a half a dozen options that they were provided strategically by the military and now the generals are uh, you know they're making they're commenting commenting via the news networks saying it's a head scratcher how the um, you know like you said the Bagram Air Base closed down right yeah. the primary means by which they would have flown out the citizens that are now stranded yeah and um, uh, so so part of what you did when you were in Afghanistan is is kind of it seems like it's animated and energized by the idea that uh, there is a principle by which or that for which it's worth sacrificing. And the principle that comes to my mind is um, liberty, human human liberty, human dignity, human worth. Right. So um, that's important to understand that the West... Right is building its culture on the value of humanity, dignity, worth, freedom, liberty, right? Same word, I suppose. Um, And the West is built on acknowledging that. And and would you see yourself as a Marine there in Afghanistan exporting this value, these values of the West? Is that one of the issues that 
that the that the values of the West are clashing with the values of the uh, Middle East. Yeah, I think it's a, I think that's the probably the core of the the problem. I think there is a there's a belief, and I think it might be it's probably accurate, but I don't. It might be um, it might be maybe fantasized, but the idea that liberty and freedom, everybody wants it. Yeah, I, but I think if people don't like, and you don't mean everyone wants, it's not a it, you're you're not saying it's a fantasy that everyone wants the American version, right? Of it. Yeah, or even the idea that they would even understand what that means, right? right? Or and when when you start, right? When you again, it's not it like it's not even like a world. It's not even a Christian versus Muslim worldview in Afghanistan. It's Islam. It's Sharia is like fundamental Sri Lanka. And then there's all these tribal Pashtun Wali, like codes of ethic and all sorts of things where the honor, it's just like, it is so far beyond anything that we can think of in the American kind of paradigm that it's, you know, there is, there is always a misunderstanding Hmm. and say that, well, what we are offering them, when we think of the long journey that Americans took to get to Okay, well, we have a constitute, we have a bill yeah, of rights, right, yeah. which we all embrace. Like there's right. hundreds fight of that. years, yes, and there's even like, even the the hundreds of years of British, you know, the uh, of of mm-hmm. British thinkers and uh, it's like, it's just an, it's very difficult just to say we're going to land here and we're going to build a nation state and we're going to impose it on people, which is true, but, um, and that's usually for the rural parts, but even, but I'm thinking like maybe like the major cities and Kabul and stuff like that. Like, I think there was some, there was some, um progress made and there's people there who are interested in those things and embraced those things and then but and then the question then becomes well do you just as a christian i think well i can't think of it through the lens of well we've given too much money and too many people have died um and for what for america and in my worldview in the christian my kind of my biblical lens is well the people in afghan are just as worthy of me dying for as an American. Sure. Right. And so I understand that there's legal, you know, the president and the armed forces have no legal responsibility, um, to anybody but Americans. But at the same time, I think if I look at through the Christian worldview, I have a moral responsibility to defend the people who can't defend themselves. And so, um, so it's a little bit of everything in answer to your question. Why did I feel like I was exporting that or yes, I think. Um, and so that's also what kind of, makes it so painful to watch is because you know this thing that we said works doesn't work and the people yeah. who are advocating human liberty and freedom and you know and, and suddenly we're just the ones like oh and that we're, we don't actually believe in that we're leaving we just yeah. care about ourselves yeah so yeah yeah and of course this is the kind of epic catastrophe that reminds me on a regular basis, I think. Well, I should say when this happens, when this epic catastrophe happens, or when you look at what's happening in Haiti with the earthquake and the and the hurricane, and the corruption, right, and the execution of the of the president, and um, recently, it reminds me to be very, very discerning and careful as to what I categorize as victimization. Right. Yeah. I mean victimization is victimization right there's no it's not i don't think it's reasonable to say well it's all relative i mean victim is a victim right but it sure does help when you're alert and aware of what kind of victimization is occurring in a country like that or a country like haiti or so on and uh, again it kind of reminds me of like um 
you know, I think you if you if you eavesdropped on some veteran parents who have adult children and you listen to what they say when there is a young parent nearby with right. a one-year-old right. and the young parent is is just exasperated at how much effort and time and how difficult this child has made their life and how much energy they spend and on and on they go about how difficult it is meanwhile the veteran parents kind of right. have this unspoken like right. roll of the eyes like you got one kid right right yeah. um and it and it just makes me it just makes me so uh, alert a little bit heart sick at what is categorized in our country in our culture as victimized yeah and i wonder and it just makes me wonder why um it just makes me wonder why we struggle to accept that God has given all humans, just based on their humanity, dignity, worth, value, and also freedom. And that when when the United States is in a foreign country, this is now I'm kind of tipping my hand as to what my view is, but that we're, when we're in a foreign country... Uh, there's a lot of reasons to be there. Profit, you know, whatever else mm-hmm. goes along with being in another country. But I do still have a bit of a um, idealistic picture of why we're there, which right. is to help humans experience God-given freedom and rights. Sure, that yeah. is protected and advanced by the U.S. Constitution. Now, imperfectly, right? Sure, yeah. It's not perfect. Um, but in the pursuit of a perfect union, in the pursuit of, uh, in fact, look how much in the hundreds of years that the, the couple hundred years that the United States has been uh, an, an, an official country. I mean, are we the only country in the world, perhaps, that's made progress on individual freedoms and right. civil rights and yeah. uh, shed blood to end slavery? I mean, are, uh, it, it could be stated. I'm no expert in the geography and history and whatever, but I can't think of another country that's made as much progress as we have. Right. And I've got to believe it's because of the motivation that is the worldview of the Christian, or the Judeo-Christian values of the values of a human being. Right. Given yeah. by God, not given by the country, not given by our politicians, not given by the Speaker of the House and the caucuses and the Senate and the, and the judges. God-given human freedoms. And that's why... We land as I think Bible believing, belonging to God Christians. We land on uh, the sanctity of life. It's not a political issue. It's why we land on uh, I think being people of hospitality towards the immigrant, the refugee, the uh, the orphan, and the widow. Um, and it also makes sense that we would be protecting human rights around the world. Yeah, and it actually kind of it also, you know, as I'm thinking about. What I would, I keep thinking because I, yeah, as a Marine Corps infantry officer, so I, I think through the tactical lens of, you know, how did the Taliban take over and how do you do that? And I keep thinking, I talked my my little brother, he's still he's a major in the Marine Corps and he's in the Air Wing, so I was just talking to him about, you know, we deployed to Iraq together in two thousand five, but we we were just talking about, I was like, look, you know how easy it is to kill all of those Taliban guys. It's not easy, but it's like, you know how much, how easy, much more easy it is than what we have been doing for the last 20 years when those guys line up in trucks and they start driving down the road. I start thinking, you have, and he's like, yeah, he's like, he's like, we're just talking. It's, you know, that's all, that's something that anyone who's, just from a typical war, just from a purely war fighting perspective for anyone who's been to Afghanistan for 20 years or in Iraq uh, outside of the initial invasion, you know, fighting a counter-terror, counter-insurgency is very different than having a, 
an enemy who's organized right. and right. vehicles on an offensive, right? Yeah. Because then they've exposed themselves. And just the ability for us to just to totally decimate them, right? So I keep thinking, man, wouldn't that be nice? But then the other part of me thinks, based on what you were saying, is, you know, the the thing Jesus tells me to do, which I realize is very is almost impossible for me to do right now, is to see, he says like pray for your enemies, right? So it's like not only are the local Afghan people that we left behind of dignity and value and worth, but even the you know the savages that are the Taliban who are just who yeah, who, who demonstrate no nothing yeah. lovable. I that is like I mean that is one of the things where I think of, and then I think of you know take it one step further and think of okay well well. That's, you know, I was essentially the Taliban to Jesus, right? To God, mm. right? I'm mm. an enemy of God, actively working against God, right. living you know, living for a kingdom that's not his. And I'm like, okay, well, then Jesus showed up and died for me and gracious. And like, so, uh, you know, the w- Christian world. Allowed view, himself to be humiliated yes, exactly. by those who he created. Yeah, yep. exactly. So I just, again, the, the when I'm, there's so many things that go through our hearts and our mind, but, um, you know, it's. There's multiple things like, well, I hate those people because what they're going to do to people. But then also, God tells me, Jesus tells yeah. me to pray for them, and that they they themselves are uniquely valuable and yeah. worthy. And Jesus died Listen, for them too. So I'm with you. I'm with you. The only way I can even imagine loving my enemies, probably these are Jesus's words to love your enemies, yeah. right? If you want to be distinct in the world, you're not the best fighting force in the world as a Christian. You're not the uh, you know most politically free. If you're a Christian, you belong to God. One of the evidences is that you are in pursuit of the virtue of loving your enemies. And here's what I've learned, Yon. The only way I could possibly do that is to exchange my limited conditional love that I have for someone based on their behavior, whether they're lovely and lovable or not, with the love of God, which is a love that a father has for all his children, even the naughty ones, the black sheep, the uh, evil ones and so it's the love of god that has to be at work through us to look at savages and say god loves these human beings and and you know invites them through the work of his spirit to repentance and yeah. and there's no doubt these people are ensnared by the enemy they have uh, the level of wickedness and evil just watching some of those video clips is 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 palpable um and so along with the easy part that Jesus gives us as, as believers to love the suffering among you, right? It's so easy to love the women and children who are being terrorized, the innocent men who are being terrorized. But man, it really starts to, it really starts to um, sift your heart for your level of authenticity when you say God loves the enemies and what makes us distinct in the world, again, is not our political voting record. And it's not our citizenship. What makes us distinct is, do we are we are we aware of and participating in God's love for these evil people? Yeah, and I think that that's probably, um, probably one of the problems in in the way this whole of thing, this whole Afghanistan thing was approached. In that, I I really mm-hmm. do think that one of the problems is is that um, there is a total misunder or total lack of recognition or um, identification of the reality of human nature and the reality of what's going on and how there is really evil in the world and how that evil plays out in the way people like the Taliban exist. And so when you don't acknowledge that and you are a secular humanist, atheist, we can, there's a, there's a 
there seems to be a profound level of arrogance mm. that's that and hubris that says we can create a world and we we can create it if we're nice enough and if we're good enough and we can just love each other enough and we can create a world where evil doesn't exist and we just knock this and then which is you know in the last 20 years as we get close to you know from 9-11 right the twin towers fall to almost 20 years later you know there's americans we kind of have been living in this bit of a fantasy world like oh yeah well you know we're building this utopia and you know things no more and then suddenly someone like isis or even you right. know, the, the taliban shows up and totally d- destroys that worldview here's and says, the evil yep, yep here's the evil here they are it hasn't gone anywhere nope. we haven't advanced or you know we haven't evolved beyond it we're just still experiencing the same thing that we did you know really very really very really in saigon but then also hundreds and thousands of years of human um tradition of just in in never-ending wars and there, and so part of it was i think there's just this hubris of we're america we can we can create whatever we right. want and we don't understand that there's evil in the world and that evil just will not does doesn't cease and so that as believers when we think of how does my faith play out in this well it's like well what point do you start shooting and dropping bombs yeah. to ensure that you're protecting other people and, and so that's again i don't envy the president i don't envy those people who are in decision making uh because it's you know especially people who love jesus and say how do you actually work this out yeah um it's not easy but i think the core principles being it's a worldview clash right yeah it reminds me um if you're a secularist atheist materialist right if you if you have a worldview that has no that is sans god I don't understand how they're capable of having a moral judgment on the Taliban coming to power and implementing and um, unleashing this terror on people. What? I mean, can you help me understand that this is this is a different stream than our conversation? But help me understand how can they say? that what they're doing is wrong if there sure. is no moral compass god yeah. has not predetermined right from wrong what's a civil right and what isn't right i think if you go down the sam harris logic it's he approaches it what he would consider rationally and he would say that everyone intuitively knows what suffering is and well, that how, suffering how did, is bad yeah sam question for you yeah how does everyone know that right and so he would use he actually uses the extreme examples of you know what is What's the worst thing ever? Well, what's bad, right? Everyone knows that if everyone was suffering all the time for all eternity, he's like, everyone would know that that's, intuitively knows that that's bad. And so then he reverse engineers it and says, well, that, so because we understand that that's bad, we're going to live in a way where we kind of reduce suffering and don't work there. Uh, But then obviously the larger question is, well, what makes bad, bad? Why is it bad? Yeah, who determines that? Right, exactly. And if I have a conscience, of course, that says this is bad, this is an apologetic for the Christian worldview, which is if your conscience is watching on the television what the Taliban is doing and has done, and the people like them with the the extremism, right, and, and terrorizing these people, if your conscience tells you this is wrong, this is deeply disturbing, again, I go back to, isn't that evidence that we have been right. made in the image of God who has seared his conscience into our DNA to know something's wrong? Yeah, I think and that's the that's the, you know, regardless of what side of the argument you're even on, you can realize, well, everyone is everyone is 
espousing some sort of injustice and suffering and okay well then the question is well why is that even a bad thing and then that's where and this i think where again as americans we kind of live in this very utopian we don't we're not exposed to real like i want to say real suffering but stuff like this um very often and so when you see the country you know collapse and the you know the country embarrassed and the, the shambolic way in which this is happening it's a real punch in the gut mm-hmm. re- reminder of, and then I think that's where everyone, we start realizing, well, what, you know, we should art ask the questions of, well, why do I, why is this so distressing? <laughs> right. It's because I believe oh, those people have value. And then it's like, well, where do I get that idea? Yeah. Right. And yeah. it's, and then we could trace it back far enough. It's well, because Jesus showed up and he said, the least of these, you know, the first shall be last and the the, right. the, the suffering and the poor and that world that didn't exist before yeah. Jesus showed yeah, up. Yeah, that's true. So. Yeah, and by the way, if you're a um, Darwinist, this is just the, isn't this just the very theory in practice of, right. of yeah. your of your natural selection right. exactly. ideology yeah. or your theory anyway? Yeah. And then even you go even further, and this is something that some people are talking about, but even the other world, like another, the clash of worldviews being the Muslim worldview of, of, you know, the, the supremacy of Allah and how, uh, Allah allows everything to have happen and how the, the big Satan and the little Satan are being defeated. And so now on the heels of something like this, where the big Satan, like the United States who is representative and whether we like it or not, whether we think it or not, but outside of this country, you know, Christianity is equated with American, right. With Americanism. And, um, and so now, now Muslims around the world, people who are easily exploitable around the world, these people have a great propaganda and recruiting tool, uh, to say, look, Allah, our brand, Muslim, our, our Sharia law dominated and overcame the Americans. And therefore obviously God's on our side. Look at the proof in the pudding come join us and there's there's now oh. a there's a resurgence even globally and even now it's even worse than it was in in Vietnam because there I mean social media you can see everything and everyone has direct access to everything that's going on so just the when we project into the future and then you look at I mean other nations with like like the Chinese and the Russians who now could be emboldened these are all geopolitical conversations but they're also worldview conversations I'm saying well whose worldview is prevailing yep. in the global on the global stage exactly. and currently the worldview of freedom and individual uniqueness uh, and worth uh, and the and, Bill of and, Rights are taking a big and hit. like you said the American the country United States of America represents in the in the Muslim world it represents Christianity right, right? So you nailed it, and it's and it's heart wrenching to consider this that the Taliban victory confirms to the Afghan youth uh, or the Afghani secularist it confirms that Allah has won and that the uh, the great Satan of the American Christian God has lost. Yep. And that's the, the and, and if they and if they function the way that you've described. Each individual is just scrambling to be found on the side of the strong, the right. winning side, yep. not the losing side. Yep. And this, I mean, it is an interesting conversation around, you know, I, I have these thoughts in my mind around, okay, well, what's best for Christianity, right? What is, you know, human suffering aside, we think of eternity, right? Where, where is the, the, the gospel advancing the most in the world? And it seems like the gospel is advancing the most in places like China, who are under oppression, who are, who are, 
Um, and so the, my question is always, and I, this is almost a bit of a ridiculous thing to, to even start a conversation on, but it's like, okay, well, um, you know, Christianity has been around for thousands of years. And when, you know, when the, when the Vikings invaded and they met a Christian priest, they would say, well, show us your God. Where's your God? Right. Because they were saying, well, if your God is real, show him in power. But they say, he didn't show up. And so they, they're like, okay, well, your God is useless, right? And by Viking, you mean your ancestors. Yes, yes, exactly. Right. So, um, and so, the, so, okay, well, that, just because people think that the American, the, the Christian God is powerless and useless doesn't necessarily mean that doesn't mean the gospel advances and the gospel doesn't need to advance yeah. with, with an America, Winning. with a strong United States. True. Um, but the, but I do think, you know, we are also on the back end of, you know, we're 70 years beyond a world war where if we didn't win it, we would all be very, very deeply oppressed people yeah. and we'd be all in concentration camps. So it, there's a bit of a privileged position that we're describing, we're talking from, but you know, in the long term, what is the best advancement of the good news of Jesus? So more people come to know him, but also kind of the ethic and the moral framework in which we actually live it out. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it took, a, it was pretty disheartening to see, um, what happened? Um, again, that's a macro conversation that kind of emerged in the micro of seeing all those individual people and their families. And cause I'm a dad now, I'm like, I'm just thinking about trying to get my wife and my two year old yep. and my 10 week old out of yep. that country and thinking I'm in that airport. Like, what do I do? Like thinking about my daughter who's going to be, you can feel the clock ticking. Yeah, I, yeah. It's, it's just, yeah. It's insanity. It's amazing too. When you think about Jesus's, um, admonition to love your enemies too what he says is it's even the godless people love their friends that yeah. doesn't set you apart right, right. loving your yeah. enemies and by the way jesus is teaching this and he's got this kind of taliban savage in view because of the roman culture and right. the similarities between the two yeah so uh it's it's not we are not in some profoundly unique situation here we no. are not in some you know even though it's an epic catastrophe it certainly isn't uh, anything new. And, and as I was saying previous, there are countries that have been dealing with this daily, not just recently, not just like, you know, two days ago. Yeah. There are countries that um, have massive amounts of, of um, terrorist activity from their governing the status, you know, the state and uh, terrorist groups and tribes that are... Um, you know, you think about this Al-Shabaab group kidnapping entire schoolrooms full of 100, 200 girls at yeah. a time. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and many of them never to be seen again. Yeah. It's ongoing. Yeah. And, and I feel so compelled and convicted to remind myself again, my world is small. My problems are first world problems. My inconveniences are irrelevant. The world is desperately broken and needs a rescuing savior. And um, I present to you a Savior who uh, knew all of this was going to happen and died for the, uh, the ugliest of the ugly in yeah. order to rescue humanity. And, uh, and salvation, hope, and joy is available no matter what culture you're in, no matter what people group you're in. And, um, and, and, and our Jesus is not a Jesus for the white man. He's not a Jesus for the, for the, um, American. He's not a Jesus for, uh, the United States of America. Did I just say American? American. Yeah, it doesn't matter. America. Yeah. 
he is a he is a rescuer for every single person on the on the planet and and i'm so relieved that that's the kind of jesus that we serve that it's it's not a race jesus a category jesus or a bourgeoisie jesus or yeah so um yeah. and that's and that's a, i mean like the only the only thing that kind of brings any solace in this is that there is a we trust in a sovereign god who is great and glorious but is also good and gracious um and so if you don't if i didn't have that worldly i don't know like yeah. especially fighting a war you're like well how do you even i don't know how you even approach yeah. that um but i don't know there's lots of veterans who fought in the who fought over there and the question is well what's it all for yeah. right and yeah. so that's a very real question when when the only thing presented to them is you're fighting for your country and you know win this war but then when we lose the war then suddenly it's all right. you know, it all feels hopeless and at a loss and so um but ultimately the only kind of sense making of it for me is obviously found in god's in control he knows what's happening we cannot create a utopia we cannot solve our problems if we could we would have done it um and that ultimately everything that we see is broken will be made right um when jesus returns so that's the again yeah and it's, it's the only hope right it is and, and, and you know, don't forget if you're biblically literate this kind of epic catastrophe is of biblical proportion i mean it's sure. it's the the bible is loaded with this kind of um terror yeah. really nation against nation and god versus uh pagans and yeah. and so this is not new to a christian who's biblically literate right it's just agonizing to be uh um this up close and personal to witness it in ways that we would have to witness only through you know uh, news anchors in the past right yeah and we are still even even as a gut punch this is we are still privileged enough to realize that americans lost a war on the other side of the world and the barbarians aren't coming to the gates mm. in the next couple of weeks right so yeah it's that's not true. like someone's running back saying we that's lost true. we lost um we are not i mean and that's why we can it's so painful because that's what the local Afghans are they're yeah. dealing with. It's like the barbarians are in the city and they are. And Dude, so that Afghani yeah. church too, that Christian yeah. church in, in Afghanistan, you yeah. read that article in the gospel coalition that they just made a painful prayerful decision to register those Christian churches with yeah. the government in July. Right. Yeah. They registered in July and then they realized oh you're exposing yourself. And they didn't know they weren't anticipating the Taliban to take over, but they're just in general exposing themselves and then a month later, not even a month later, they're they're on a list of people mm. that will be first to probably uh unbelievable meet. And I read uh, I heard I read someone said that one of the Christians who said spoke out of Afghanistan said we're 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 all expecting to meet our savior face to face in the next two weeks. So it's pretty uh again It's incredible. It's pretty yeah, it's it's pretty it's incredible. incredible. It's pretty I mean there's so many again, there are so many layers of you know, catastrophe and, and the, the shame of it. And the, there's so many different areas. And so, um, but how do we, where do we, again, in everything, every one of our conversations, where do we focus, you know, well, we look at Jesus, we yeah. look at God, we look to God, um, and we put our hope and our faith and trust in him, not in the stars and stripes or not. Right. In, not so in, true. Yeah. I have to, I mean, it, uh, that helps me when I think of how cringy it is to hear that, the Taliban is invited to the negotiation table. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 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 almost, and the, I think the hardest part now going forward is for, I think as I as I think about it, kind of going for myself, I think 
um, in the next couple of weeks, it's going to be unbearable for me just because the news cycle will have moved beyond the immediacy of the catastrophe into just a political blame game. And yeah. everyone's just going to be positioning for power and people will have forgotten about all the, you know, the news cycle will have forgotten about the people that we left behind and they right. will shift into who's to blame and who's yep. going to exploit this for political purposes and yada yada. And that's political the, haymakers. Yes, exactly. That's the worst part of it is that it's a, it kind of really reveals that there's very few people who genuinely, yep. who they may care, but they care more about other totally. stuff. So. Exactly right. In this, in this particular episode, it seems, um, it seems hard, um, to transition into our personal preferences segment. Yeah. But, Yon, uh, later there will be listeners listening to this episode, maybe, right? My wife, your mom. Yeah. And um, we know that those two listen, don't we? Though we have, I think we have, we have two faithful listeners. My mom <laughs> hasn't commented yet because she doesn't know how to. <laughs> so, um, so now we, we, so what I was thinking was that we, can do a personal preferences because months from now yeah there will there will be listeners at least two who are saying well aren't we doing personal preferences yeah they're gonna be they, we don't want any hate mail from our yeah so in other words the the, the the epic pain and suffering that's yes. on television every day yeah. will be you know there'll be a new topic that's right we're going to be talking about you know but the personal uh, preferences will live forever dominion voting machines yeah. and whatever so the personal preferences will be timeless. That's right. We'll be talking about Donald Trump's <laughs> second run for president. Yeah, exactly. This is this. But uh, so our personal preferences today are we we're doing? How do you take your coffee? Yeah. We normally we do like an A B A B C choice, but today we'll just say, how do you like your coffee? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Perfect I mean, world. What am I comparing it to? Am I saying personal preferences? Is it is it coffee versus latte? Because latte is kind of that's the opposite of coffee, kind of right. Well, if you're you get just out of, exposing your level of arrogance, do you think as so? A coffee? Do you think so? Bougie coffee concept. What? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I guess it depends on how many shots are in the latte, how much milk is in there. Like, well, I mean, if it's a latte, there's a lot of milk. Otherwise, it's cappuccino. Okay. Well, I mean, so. Are you so what in your mind what qualifies as coffee? Let's go through the list of uh, a bean, a ground, a brew. So a latte is not a coffee, though. No. Is it a milk? So it's it's a milk. It's with a drink a, with an ethics of coffee. It's added? a drink. Yes. Oh, okay. It's a coffee drink, a specialty drink. Oh, okay. or, but the coffee in the latte is the espresso. Sure. Yeah. So uh, now you do know that I started my coffee journey drinking Dunkin' Donuts lattes. <laughs> That's not how everyone does it, though. Uh, oh, you know what? They weren't lattes though back then. There no, was not lattes, lattes were not a big they just thing had back like then. Four right. creams and four. That's sugars. exactly <laughs> yeah, exactly. I called it candy coffee or dessert coffee, but that's the only way I could stomach it because I didn't really like the taste of coffee. But everywhere I was socially, you know, you're being offered coffee, and so I thought I, I better get started. So I had sugars and creams, yeah. and then eventually I realized, a, I'm not really drinking cro- coffee, and b, I don't like drinking calories, and c. How long could I possibly go on having dessert all day long, right? Well, well that was fat Dan days too. That's right. That's yeah. right. So, so eventually, I made my way towards black coffee, home brewed, home ground. Um, so, I would say, given the choice between a latte and a coffee, I would go with a straight, um, maybe, uh, maybe a uh, a pour over coffee, 
um, with a fresh ground, obviously fresh roasted coffee bean. Uh, and for fun, like today, for fun and for special, I do a vanilla latte. Yeah, I mean, but, but I'm, but I, but I have some issues, so I, I tend not to do cream and milk in my coffee. Uh, so I got yeah. almond milk latte today. It's true. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, can't reveal those issues because of HIPAA. Sure. Yes. I mean, my wife loves those oat milk lattes, and I'm just like, I just can't get behind yeah. it. It just doesn't taste. The oat milk's got 16 grams of sugar, or six, yeah. six or seven grams of sugar. I mean, almond milk is what is it like? Two almonds and like two percent almond, ninety eight percent water. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I guess so. You, are, I mean, you, but you're like French pressing and air pressing and yeah, all sorts I, of pressing your own coffee, grinding your own beans. It's pour over in the morning. It's and, pour over. Yeah. No, it's I'm no, it's just it's it's ridiculous. Is what I'm trying to say. But you're saying that it's not. I'm saying it's not. I'm okay. saying it takes no longer. Listen, I hit the kettle. I grind the beans. And I'm no snob when it comes to beans. I just like a medium roast, mm. just a fresh medium roast. And then and then I take it off the kettle when it's ready and just pour it over. And, and the, the pour over I got is 15 bucks on Amazon. And, man, it's killer, killer mm. cup of coffee, consistent. And uh, all I do is heat up the water and pour it over the grounds and leave it sit for yeah. four minutes five minutes but i'm not big on i'm not big on the press because i'm not that big of a fan of a it's got to steep for four minutes off the heat so when it's doing that it's kind of cooling it's kind of similar to the pour over but for whatever reason that big pitcher seems to be cool and then and then you've always got that maybe i'm doing it wrong but i've always got that french press like powder in mm. the drink not yeah. my favorite not terrible but not my favorite what about you latte you seem like a milky guy I don't, I like, I I actually like lots of shots of espresso, and I like the little bitterness, but I like some milk in there. But, I mean, I love vanilla lattes just because mm. I'm a sugar addict, too, so those are delicious. But normally, I my wife is always like, well, what do you want? I'm like, I don't know. Like, she'll get me something, and I'll like it, but I have no, like, this is just the way I am. I don't go to restaurants or anywhere and say, I know what I want because I know what I like. And wow, I, And why? I know the components of what I want. I want to yeah. I want to dig down. I want to dig into I this. Don't, I, just, why? I just don't think I have why the tolerance you... to think about it or really? care about it enough. Yeah. You can't just remember? Because I'll, I'll drink anything. It all just tastes... I mean, really? honestly, it's okay. Yeah. I honestly... You do will... not strike me as that kind of person. You strike yeah. me. We've known each other a long time, Yon, and you've always struck me as someone who's got deep, well-defined convictions and I, opinions and preferences yeah, I, have, I have a lot of opinions and a lot of things <laughs> but food and coffee are not one of them I'm always like it drives my wife nuts it drives Jules insane because she bet. her only love language well not her only but her primary love language is delivering people coffee Ooh. and so Ooh. but I do drink she usually gets me a couple shots of espresso maybe three shots of espresso and then I mix it with some whole milk at home and put some ice put it on over ice so yeah that's usually my go-to now what would that be called I don't know. Some kind of dopio <laughs> espresso, espresso. Yes, yeah. <laughs> over ice. <laughs> you are Jules. I am sorry for this pathetic, yeah. <laughs> pathetic coffee drinking. Sorry. So yeah, that's my personal. If you have questions about how you want to do your coffee or some great recommendations, hit up Pastor Dan. Um, if you. There's no reason to to talk to me, so just send all your stuff to Dan. Um, Also, give us a like. Give us a subscribe. Share us with your friends and your family. Um, And uh, hopefully this unscripted version of Salted Podcast was as good as the other ones. 
Um, if you're with us this long, then maybe that's the case. But uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. So long. Thanks so much for checking out the Salted Podcast. You can find other episodes and topics on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. Make sure you click follow so you'll get notifications whenever new episodes come out. Thanks for listening.